Hello and welcome to all our listeners on behalf of the Wharton FinTech podcast. I'm your host Anjit Gupta, a current Wharton MBA student of the class of 21. Today we have with us Catherine Anderson, co-founder and CEO of Roger.ai. Founded in 2017, Roger's accounting and finance technology helps organizations automate time-consuming and expensive manual tasks like bookkeeping and expense management. Before Roger, Catherine also founded Assemblage in 2011, which was later acquired by Cisco, which is when she moved from Denmark to the US. Assemblage offered developers a solution to add real-time collaboration apps such as whiteboarding, presentation broadcasting and screen sharing to their products. Catherine holds a bachelor's from Copenhagen Business School and is also doing a master's in international law, economics and management from the University of Copenhagen. Catherine, thank you for joining us today. Sure, yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure, Catherine. Uh Catherine, we would love it if you could start by telling us a bit about your background and what motivated you to launch Roger. Sure. So I am originally from Denmark where I grew up and I spent my my childhood and also went to uh, to college as you just mentioned. Immediately after finishing my bachelor's degree, I I started my uh, my master's degree in 2010, which I never finished and and probably will won't be able to to finish, but after after that I was really considering you know what to do after my degree i felt like i don't have any specific trade or skill i didn't study law to become a lawyer or medicine to become a doctor i just studied business and economics so it was really broad what i could go after and i was talking to a friend christian who later became my co-founder uh, both in roger and in my uh, our first company um, assemblage and we both kind of had the same dream of starting our own company he's technical he's a computer scientist and he had always been the type of person who had 15 ideas that he was working on um and kind of trying to to take to life and he pitched one of them to me and we ended up just starting a business around it and that's how we we started our our first company assemblage in in 2011 Other than yet yeah, that yeah I uh, I have still have a lot of my most of my family is back home in Denmark. I live in San Francisco and I've lived in San Francisco since 2014 and personally apart from work I spend a lot of a lot of time outdoors. Love to to go hiking, swimming and running and all that sorts of stuff. So that's a little bit about my my background. Thank you. That's that's fascinating Catherine. Uh to know that you've you've lived across countries and have had that kind of a diverse experience uh diving deeper into roger could you tell us a little bit more about roger and the business model behind it especially what uh, motivated you to launch mm-hmm. this company yeah so both my co-founder christian and i we had started a couple of small businesses before we started roger we also have a lot of friends who run just normal small businesses like people who are carpenters or people who have a cafe or a fitness studio and what we had seen was that everyone who starts a business everyone who is a founder everyone who's trying to make a difference with the small business in their community they hate spending time on all the administration associated with it and especially the 
the finance pieces of the, the admin work can be really tedious. And it's something that you as a small business owner sort of do when the kids are in bed and it's like 9 p.m. and you just have to do this, this tedious thing you don't want to spend your time on because most people just want to focus on their business, right? And that's, that was the primary reason why we started Roger was to try and alleviate some of that burden um, from small business owners' minds. And also because that was the experience that we had. You know, Christian and I, in our first company, we used to hand our accountant a big, like, bag of receipts. And then we're like, here, go do our books. And I think we're pretty much right there, square in the middle of the token small business owner um, who doesn't want to spend time on accounting or uh, bookkeeping. So that's that's one of the biggest reasons why we started that company. Today, Roger is, is uh, or Roger started out as really being focused on helping small companies like one to five people companies handle their um, their accounts payable their bill pay so their vendor payments and that's the first tiny piece of a problem that we started trying to solve fast forward three years later we are in a completely different spot we now help companies anywhere between 30 and 150 people in size automate their bookkeeping and finance function. And we help some of the largest accounting firms in the world um, scale their scale their firms and their practices on the bookkeeping side. So on the kind of client accounting side. So we help the accounting firms with all the, the, the manual work that they usually do in the accounting system on behalf of their clients. We help automate that. So we're almost like a layer on top of the accounting system. If you're using QuickBooks or Ciro or Sage Intact, Roger acts as an automation layer on top of that and, um, and handles all those tasks that were previously manual and, and, and automates those. A lot of people kind of, if you know Zapier, a lot of people compare it and say like, oh, it's mm-hmm. like Zapier for the finance function. So that's a, a really kind of good one-line way of describing a piece of the the product, and yeah, we like I said, uh, we sell directly to accounting firms and also distribute the product through accounting firms. But we do also have a direct kind of self-serve model where we smaller companies will just find the service, sign up, start using it for free, and then eventually upgrade and start paying for it. So those are the two business models. Got it. So if I'm correct, you guys, uh, Roger will soon be available in the UK as well. And it would be, I would love to understand how the reception has been from the different kind of customers. You already mentioned you have expanded to companies with bigger, larger number of employees. So how has growth looked like? How has the reception been from these different kinds of uh, firms? Mm -hmm. So our model is a little bit untraditional in that we, we started it out in the Scandinavian market because both Christian and I are from Denmark originally. So while we were living in the U.S. and starting Roger, while we were residents in the U.S., we actually went to market in Scandinavia first because that was easiest. And then later we expanded into the U.S. market where we're active today. So today we're in Scandinavia and in the U.S. and have grown a lot in both markets. So it's been a very organic journey of growth because we knew that we had to start with solving for the what we call like the bottom half of the funnel. 
So for us, for the first two years, it wasn't about growth. For the first two years, it was just about getting a relatively small amount of customers to use our product and stick with it and like not drop off and create that retention and really create a product that's super sticky and that people love to use every single day. So for us, that was the first measure of success is can we create that? How quickly can we create that? And once we felt like, okay, we're in a good position, then we started investing more in growth and started expanding into the U.S. and and kind of replicated the model that we had used in Scandinavia in the U.S. as well with a few tweaks because nothing's ever the same. And there's ups and downs and challenges in every type of expansion model and in ours as well. Uh, but that's sort of been the generalized idea. And then now we're, as we're seeing things progress in, in our uh, two current markets, we're looking at at expanding elsewhere. And the UK has sort of crystallized as the next um, big big country expansion for us um, because we already have the accounting system integrations that are necessary to serve customers in the UK. Um, there are a lot of boxes that are already ticked by way of, of just being available in the US and in Scandinavia. So it's been kind of a very natural next step. And we have a lot of interest generated already, but, but uh, we're kind of in the early, very early stages of just building up our beta user list in the UK and, and getting ready to onboard the, the next batch of beta customers. Um, so for us, it's always very, very um, not slow. We try to push and do things quickly, but it has to be slow when you're rolling out a new product in a new country or in a new market. It's important that you make sure you have a retaining product before mm-hmm. you start doubling down on the growth pieces. And we do that when we expand into different sizes of, of, of companies, but we also do that when we expand into a new country like, like the UK. Mm. Yeah, got it. So a lot of these businesses, Kazuin, uh, you know, the smaller ones, especially in the UK and the US, would have been impacted severely by the current COVID crisis. What has been the impact of this entire uh, pandemic on your strategy, on the business and, you know, the future plans uh, you had for Roger? Sure. So when when all of this hit in, in early March to mid-March, we sat down every single day, multiple times a day, Christian and I, and talked about what the impact might be for our company, for our customers especially, we have thousands of customers that are small businesses and we realized really quickly we are in the middle of their payments flow. We sit directly in the core of their business and are already helping them them with a core piece. And we have a responsibility to help them through this crisis as well. So for us, it meant very quickly in the course of two weeks, developing a couple of new products that would that we thought would be able to help our customers navigate better through this crisis. So that was the immediate impact it had on us. We knew all of our customers would be affected. All of their revenues would be hit. Tactically, we decided to make the product free for all new customers for a few months. And then we developed a few new products on the cash flow management side and sort of on the payment side that would it enable both our customers but also their suppliers to improve their cash flow and also get their well get their money faster basically so those were some of the 
the biggest things that that happened for us and and then of course there's a whole internal aspect like how did it affect Roger as a business and how did we communicate to employees but that's a whole different story okay so now that we're talking about strategy and uh, pivots especially uh, Catherine it would be great if you could uh, talk about canvas dropper and you know the journey to it becoming assemblage i'm aware that you guys made a massive pivot from where you originally started in 2011 yeah so when we started canvas dropper it was a in in 2011 it was a product for image sharing that was targeted at consumers and when we sold assemblage we changed the name along the way when we changed or when we sold assemblage to cisco it was like you explained in the beginning it was a almost like a developer tool that we sold to companies so that they could integrate real time presentations screen sharing voice and video calls into their own platform we pretty quickly realized with canvas dropper like in the first 6 months that we had a retention problem which is mm-hmm. why we've been so maniacally focused on that at roger and mm-hmm. um, we would be able to attract people to come and try the product and use it for a little while but then pretty quickly they would drop off and never come back because it simply wasn't a product that was sticky it mm-hmm. would people had no real use for it and that's what what prompted uh, that massive pivot was simply like working for try, trying to refine this image sharing tool for a year and not really seeing any more success on the retention side just made us realize we won't be able to grow this efficiently so we took kind of some of the core technologies that we we built out and took all of the learnings and just said okay what do we do with this and then we decided to go b2b we had we felt like we had some valuable like real time technology that we built out and we took that and we sort of just wrapped it completely different and started going after businesses and figuring out then over time like okay who actually would buy something like this how can we iterate over this offering and uh, we ended up in a completely different spot and i think that's been the case with roger as well like and that's one of the core both strengths but also it can be a weakness um with with christian and myself as leaders of of a of a company is we we are not afraid to sort of kill our darlings so to speak like we mm-hmm. take a lot of feedback in all the time and iterate really quickly over the product and we've done that with roger you know you can see we started from being a bill pay service for micro businesses to being a fully fledged accounting automation service that has the largest accounting firms of the world as customers and small businesses larger small businesses so that's really we're constantly doing these micro pivots uh, mm-hmm. all the time both in canvas dropper but we're doing it in roger as well all the time now that we're bigger that roger is a bigger company of course you don't you don't change your entire strategy or product anymore but there's still every day there's tiny tweaks and pivots based on feedback based on data and usage mm. so you were on a very good point there uh, Catherine because i think two of the biggest things that a lot of entrepreneurs who fail seem to miss out is the importance of being able to pivot early on and the importance of understanding that the end, at the end it's about the customer it's about building a product that sticks to the customer so 
apart from your willingness to change gears and reevaluate catherine what is it that you think has helped you find the right product market fit each time i think it's definitely being able to change gears and reevaluate is the number one thing first of all but secondly i think it's been especially christians willingness to always uh, or to not overbuild so christian is a brilliant engineer and can build extremely robust solutions and but but he doesn't have to do that every time like he is willing to to bang out some early version of a product and test it with five customers hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect it does it just has to be good enough for us to get feedback Mm-hmm. and i think that in the early stages is the most important piece that you have an engineer or an engineering team that's willing to do that and that doesn't over engineer and doesn't overbuild because you can you can easily fall into the trap of of um of building out a product that is completely overkill for mm-hmm. what you're trying to do and then you won't be able to test it so that's been the the number one thing for us i think that that we've had both christian and then later an engineering team and a design team a product team that is willing to to make big changes fast and to build things without over engineering uh, and i i i i i think at the early stage that's that's the most important before you find your product market fit you have to be able to do that once you find the product market fit it changes the game and then other things become much more important always be agile as they say yeah exactly <laughs> so kathleen changing gears a bit i find it fascinating and rare that uh, you started both your firms with the same co-founder christian and what do you think has been almost a success mantra behind this founder pair as well as uh, your other hiring decisions especially of the first few employees so for Christian and myself like we've been friends since we were teenagers and that has been of that's of course very rare i think most like you're saying most people start a company with someone and eventually maybe end up getting acquired and then people go their separate ways i've seen mm-hmm. it a few other times that people have started companies again with the same founding team but it is pretty rare yes. i think Christian and i are just we have been friends for so long we have a apart from building companies together we just really like each other's company on a personal level as well so i am excited to wake up and start my day by calling christian and talking to him about the challenges that we have both when we were like just myself and christian working on the business but now with 50 employees in roger it's still the same thing like we we still have tons of challenges to solve every day and it's that like mutual just not just respect but also just having fun working together is so important because i've seen a lot of founder pairs uh go separate ways because they simply on a personal level they don't really like each other it seems yeah. so low low practical but i think that's one of the biggest reasons why i can't imagine starting a company with anyone else right and mm-hmm. and uh, and i think if you ask christian he would probably feel the same way it just is a a constellation that works because our skills and opinions also complement each other and are very different off like our skills are different and often we also have totally different takes 
mm-hmm. on the same issue, but then we're able to hear each other out and really figure out, okay, what's what's the best middle ground? Um, we have had our share of, if anyone is listening to this and thinks, <laughs> oh, that's just, it's just perfect. And you've just worked together for 10 years without issues. We can have intense fights and intense discussions. And there has been a lot of crying and a lot of debating <laughs> and a lot of discussion. But honestly, over the past like couple of years, that has kind of um, not been the case because you end up just being such a so in tune uh, that all of that goes away and you're able to to um, to prevent discussions or arguments or fights before they happen and also you're of course in a different spot uh, in general um, uh, personally and professionally so so that these things don't kind of have to to get out of hand but it's not easy to have a co-founder I I, it's not easy to start a company alone uh, for sure Mm -hmm. but it also is never going to be easy to have a co-founder so don't listen to this and think oh it's just so easy and perfect if you find the right person to start a company with it will never be easy there will always be fighting there will always be discussions but hopefully they're productive and you can you can um, you can turn that into something very valuable and move the company forward quickly and not let it stall you. That's mm-hmm. the most important piece. Got it. And how do you how do you decide or hire your first few key employees? Because that is equally important, uh, I feel, to the success yeah. of the company. At the early stage of a company that's going to scale, like scale massively. Uh, the the biggest quality is to find someone who has a founder mindset. We were able to hire the first two people that we hired. Um, the first three people that we hired in in Roger were are people that are still at the company today in leading roles. And we have someone like we have someone like our who leads our our entire payment strategy today. And he's maybe a good example of of the type of person that you really need to be looking for is. At the early stage, he built out our entire mobile app and and just functioned as a mobile developer. But mm-hmm. then over time, he has been a backend developer. He has now turned into to leading our entire payment strategy and implementing our entire payment strategy and actually leads a large piece of our revenue even. So that's the type of person you need. You, in the early stage of a business, you need someone who can adapt, someone who's not going to bitch about changing the strategy. Someone's not going to say, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. You have to have people that are adaptable, that can take on multiple hats and that can, can, uh, can do things really quickly and be someone to never be satisfied with the status quo. You need someone, you need people on the team who are drivers, the worst thing that you can do is hire people that need your direction all the time because you are going to have to focus on other things as a founder as you're growing, especially if you're growing quickly. So you can't have someone who is just waiting to take your direction. You need self-starters. You need people who have that founder mindset. Now, once you grow to a certain size, of course you don't need to hire 50 founder types like mm-hmm. that would be a horrible company to be a part of but so so it kind of changes but at the very early stages that's what i found to be extremely crucial okay thank you for those insights uh, Catherine. so coming back to accounting and roger for a bit i'd love to know your thoughts on what you think is the future of accounting as a business 
do you see the role and the industry moving towards full automation? So that's a, that's a great question. And of course, being fully immersed in, in this profession and broader industry, I mean, that's on top of everyone's mind. I think I don't, we, we don't being when we're, when we go out and talk to potential customers or our current partners, we never talked to them about replacing bookkeepers or replacing accountants because that's not really the goal of our business. So for me, I think of the future of the profession more in terms of what other, when the manual tasks are, are automated to a higher and higher degree, what new tasks are accountants and bookkeepers going to be doing and providing mm-hmm. for their clients? What value are they going to generate instead? Mm-hmm. And I think that for us, we are trying to offer, when we, when we offer our product to accounting firms, our main mission is to help the firms scale quickly because that's what I see. You know, five years from now, I see that any accounting firm can almost be as scalable as a software business. Mm-hmm. Because imagine when you use a tool like Roger, you're an accountant, you can automate all the tasks that you usually have had to do for clients manually in the accounting system, but now you don't have to do that anymore. You just have to monitor and be sort of more of a controller type and advise. You don't have to perform and spend eight hours a day on manual work. So you can build a pretty scalable accounting firm with the tools that are already available today. And I think a lot of accounting firms have not realized that yet. A lot of Mm -hmm. firms have. And I think the firms that are realizing that or have realized that and are starting to implement the right tools, they're going to be able to really take a huge chunk of the market. They're going to be able to scale their businesses almost as quickly as as a technology company because they become a technology business. So that's the biggest shift that I see happening is that accounting firms and the accounting profession has to change their mindset more and more toward becoming technology-driven and not just thinking, oh, yeah, maybe there's three or four clients that I can implement this tool with and help the client automate their their, uh, processes. They have to do that on their back end as well. They have to think about how can I automate all of my processes across my entire client base. So that's a product that we're trying to, to launch over the next like three or four months is, is a product that does exactly that uh, to a higher extent. And, and that's because that's where we kind of see things moving. But yeah, I, 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 I don't operate with the replacement mindset, more of like an augmentation mindset. That's a good point, Catherine. Uh, being an ardent supporter of technology myself and coming from financial services, I do believe, uh, I agree as well, that all these companies will have to become technology firms, something that this industry has avoided for a while now. Yeah. So, uh, Catherine, any final word of advice for all those young entrepreneurs out there? Sure. I think, you know, the best thing that I can say is, which is super cheesy, and everyone has heard before is it just takes the first step, you know, in anything that you're doing, whether it's if you have a dream to start a company or whether it's it's a dream to build a new product within an existing company or change a product or change a process within an existing company or structure, anything will only things will only happen if you have 
a constant drive. You know, that's what I found and which I initially was also very, it was difficult for me sometimes to see the road toward the bigger goal. But that's where Christian has been really instrumental in, in that he always just chips away at something. Start, start it, just start somewhere, do something. If it goes wrong, so what? You can fix it. Like the, the stakes aren't always very high, but there's mm-hmm. just like take the first step and then all the other steps from that first step become easier. And it usually doesn't take as long of uh, as much time as you think to take that initial step. So that's one of the things that, that I would say is it surprises me again and again that there are two different kinds of people. There are the people who have that mindset and there are the people that don't. And you can learn it absolutely. You can force yourself to acquire that mindset and you can surround yourselves self with people who have that mindset and learn from them. And that would be something that that's something that I learned a lot initially when when we started uh, our first company. I thought I have to be able to do everything myself. I have to be able to be smart enough to figure out every single problem. And I was hesitant to reach out to people that had done this before. But now I I, I try to, to have calls with people every week that have been through similar things that we're going through with Roger just to get their opinion on X, Y, and Z and to have them help me think about things differently. But also be cautious if people are telling you this and this isn't possible. Even if they've been through similar things that you have, you have to sometimes just say like, screw that. Like I can do it. So mm-hmm. um, so those are some, some of the, the biggest points that I would bring up. Thank you for all that motivation, Catherine. It was a pleasure to uh, have you on the show and know more about you. You're truly an inspiration for us. Best of luck to you and Roger going ahead. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great.